On February 28, 1993, the United States Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms attempted to raid a religious group's compound in an effort to arrest their leader and recover illegal weapons. What followed was a lengthy shootout and a 51-day standoff that resulted in even more tragic deaths. In this episode of HPH, we're taking a look at this tale of what happens when religious fanaticism collides with governmental incompetence. Grab a drink and prepare yourself for this episode of 100 Proof History, titled Waco, burning down the house. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Watch out. You might get what Okay. Hello, ladies and teenage boys, apparently. Mm-hmm. Hey, how you doing? Both groups. Not, hey. but not, no. Hey. Hey to one and hey, what's up to the other? You know yeah. I don't know. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> well, welcome in all the same. This is 100 Proof History. I am your main host, Gregory. And I am your sexy host, Christopher. Sexy co-host Christopher. Yes. Well, that, it doesn't need to be said. It's it's implied, but that's that's fine. <laughs> Today we are talking about Waco. Yeah. Not the city. Not the city. Oh no! I had all my fixer upper Chip and Joe stuff lined up. <laughs> the terrible tragedy of the nineties. Yep. There was no fixer upper on TV. That was the tragedy. <laughs> uh, no, man. This one hits close to home. We've said before we live in Texas, and I remember when I was I was about twelve, maybe eleven, when this happened, and they brought us in to like a classroom so we could watch it on one of the rolling carts, the the grand finale of what happened. And now looking back on it, I'm like, man, they should they be showing that shit to eleven year olds? Like, kind of weird. Stop down nap time, guys. Like, we got something important to show you. Eleven year olds having nap time in school. It was a it was a public school. Okay, I, they they were doing the best <laughs> they could. They were supposed to be teaching, yeah. but yeah. teacher was hungover. Yeah, they had one book for the whole class, and it was all worn out and shit. It's like, you know, <laughs> you know, we're, we're done with today's sentence. Why don't you guys go ahead and just lay down your heads on your desk? When you were a kid, do you remember anything about this? Yeah, I was actually home sick from school. I'm a couple years younger than you. So I think I, think I was in second grade mm. at the time. And uh, I remember my mom brought me home like on her lunch break, some some pizza to eat and for whatever reason, a new fucking Rottweiler puppy. Uh-huh. And so this little monster's just going ape shit on a pair of socks. Cause I I don't I don't know if she got him on a whim or I I don't really remember. I need to ask her about it. But uh, you know, we didn't have toys or were at all prepared to have a, a puppy in the home. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just kind of gave him a pair of old socks or whatever, and he's he's just destroying those bad boys. I'm eating my Mr. Gaddy's pizza. And uh, watching a bunch of people die on TV as a second grader. Yay! With the biggest erection. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight. At the time, it was like, wow, this is fucking interesting. Yeah. Now it's like, what the fuck? I'm going to talk about this in 27 years. Tell some internet strangers. <laughs> Fairly recent event, so hopefully some of our listeners have a memory of it. And maybe they can chime in with, you know, where were they when this all happened? Our source today... Is the Ashes of Waco, an investigation by Dick J. Rivas. Pretty solid book. 
uh, goes into a lot of the mindset stuff, like the religion behind the movement, you know, why the group acted the way they did and why the other group acted the way they did. Kind of gives you a, a full picture, something we're going to try and do here, but if you need more information, it's, it's a really good book. I read some of that bad boy, and I also went through uh, Waco, a survivor's story by David Thibodeau. And that's what the uh, the current miniseries that people are talking about on Netflix is based off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, maybe we'll get into it later, but his account, I feel like it's it's obviously biased. Right. And then he's even come out and said the miniseries is like... Really biased. You know, even yeah. further. Yeah. Well, he doesn't say further from the truth, but he says, yeah, it's not how it happened. Yeah. You know, it's embellished. But I feel like eh, he might be glossing over some things, too. It's an oddly hard story to find good books about because like 90% of it is conspiracy stuff. Yep. It's all fucking right-wing extremists and shit. Yeah. This is why the government's horrible, which this is a good example of government overstep and how they can be pieces of shit, sure. But this event is used, much like Ruby Ridge, as uh, propaganda pieces. Yep. We won't do that. Or will we? Should we overthrow the government? Or shouldn't we? (laughs) I don't know. Find out. You get like that? I got them teased now. They're all like, oh, fuck, what's he going to tell me? He's going to tell me to overthrow the government? And they're like, start polishing their guns. Like, oh, here it oh, comes. Yeah. <laughs> here it comes. Christopher, what are you drinking today? All right. Well, today, man, I have nailed it. I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is the the absolute best I have done tying this in. I'm having Balcones. This is good. You've already told me. You bragged about it. You were so excited. I was. I, it's Balcones Brimstone. I've had it before. Uh, on the show, but it really ties in, obviously, because of the brimstone, guys, if you know how the story ends. And Balconis is distilled and bottled in Waco, Texas. So, I'm hitting home. And on the back, it says, Purification Through Fire. Damn. Yeah, so, actually, it was funny. I was sitting in the kitchen with my wife. I'm pouring it. She's like, oh, what are you drinking this week? And I showed her, and I was like, yeah, maybe it's in poor taste. I don't know if it's, you know, crossing a line. She's like, why? I said, because of the fire and Waco? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, maybe you should listen to my podcast. She's like, hmm. Went back to looking at her phone. So that was (laughs) real confidence booster right there. (laughs) (laughs) What are you having to drink, sir? I am having Nika whiskey from the barrel. It is a 103 proof. And I'm drinking it because, well, I had it. Oh. And so I'm going, I'm going through the collection. I'm like, fuck, how can I tie this in? Like 20 minutes ago. Uh, it's from the barrel. And uh, the Branch Davidians received a few things from the barrel as well that day. <laughs> <laughs> Guns and bullets. Oh, that, that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, right. Basically on par with yours. They're, they're tied for first place. <laughs> they are. <laughs> there are no winners or losers here, Greg. Except for all these people that are about to die in this story. They, they, they lost their lives. Tragically. Somewhat. But they won... Um, hmm. Notoriety. We're still talking about them. There you go. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Totally worth it. <laughs> well, before we get started, we should remind our listeners to check out our website, hunterproofhistory.com, or you can go 100proofhistory.com. Check out our episodes, Instagram... Maybe drop a few dollars on the Patreon, give us some love, and we'll give you some perks. Chris is a horrible salesman. (laughs) (laughs) What you would get with that Patreon is access to our special bonus episodes, our hangovers released every Monday, 
as well as early access to each of our regular episodes that we release on Thursdays normally, Tuesday for the Patreon. Good stuff. All right, Greg, are you ready to tell these fine people, and maybe my wife, if, if she ever gets around to listening, the story of Waco? I can't fucking work. All right, let's do it. Yeah! Woo! <laughs> the story of the Waco siege and standoff actually begins in the year 1831 in New York. A dude named William Miller was studying his Bible when he came across a passage from the book of Daniel that said, quote, the sanctuary would be cleared, end quote, after 2,300 days. Obviously, when the passage said that the sanctuary would be cleared, it meant that Jesus would return and the world would end. Miller did some fun made-up math starting in 457 BCE and realized that the world would end on October 22, 1844. In the 13 years between his discovery and the end of the world, he gained a good number of followers who began to call themselves Millerites. Now, this is a history podcast, but we do know some of our listeners aren't historians, and they might not know this, but the world, in fact, did not end on October 22nd, 1844. Skiddly what? Yep, we're still here. We're still fucking here. I'm still standing. Better than ever did. Elton John's just out in the field with them. They're all disappointed, and he's just fucking (laughs) rocking with his big glasses. Huge glasses, the fucking <laughs> glittery sequined trench coat, just rocking the shit out of that grand piano. <laughs> well, following what would become known as the Great Disappointment, until I got married and had a wedding night, the Millerites <laughs> fragmented into different groups. Some people assumed the world was going to end anyway and stopped going to work. Some saw a passage that said if people were left behind during the rapture, they should act like children. So they did that. And that's how this podcast was born. (laughs) You're welcome. Others formed their own religions based on the Adventist philosophy, which is a version of Christianity centered around the second coming of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Once is enough for me. My refractory period is way too long. Pretty impressive. I can't do it twice. Not like... The 2,000 plus years he's been, nope, oh. <laughs> no. He was 33, like maybe if I was like 17-year-old Jesus or something. Oh, maybe he'd been building up over 33 years. Just like, oh, that was great. That was the best six seconds of my life, Mary Magdalene. You want to do that again? And boom, eight, oh. eight seconds later. Are we crossing some, some lines here? <laughs> uh, probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs> oh... Jesus never had sex, people, unless you believe he did have sex. And in that case, I agree he had sex. There, I covered it. Fence straddled. (laughs) (laughs) One of these Adventist sects, formed by a woman named Ellen White, became the denomination known as Seventh-day Adventists. And they were named that because they believed, much like the Jewish people, that the seventh day of the week, or the Sabbath, is Saturday, not Sunday. Well, and so Saturday became their day of rest and worship. And this is smart. This is very smart on their behalf because college football, the good games don't come on until like two in the afternoon and then you get the, the night games, whereas the NFL starts earlier. So if you have your church on Saturday, you can watch all of college football and then you have all day Sunday just to pig out and watch NFL football. And that's probably what they were thinking like in 1844 when this happened. And just get absolutely hammered. Just drunk. trashed. You don't make it to the night game. Why would you? <laughs> yeah. Just sleep on the couch like, in a puddle of your own 
buffalo <laughs> chicken puke. Like, oh, go Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> In 1929, a Hungarian immigrant and member of the Seventh-day Adventist named Victor Hutef looked around and said, you know what? This here church isn't strict enough for me. We should fix that. Because, you know, old-timey voice. That accent is actually on period. Yes. And also very Hungarian. I don't know if you've ever met a Hungarian. <laughs> Definitely not that. <laughs> he could have been an, a baby immigrant. That's true. You know, and then grew up with a New York speakeasy accent, <laughs> even though he was in Texas. <laughs> you don't know. I, you weren't there. That's true. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. We should just say that about every episode, like two segments in. Just be like, you don't know, you aren't there. See you next week, motherfuckers. End of story. Or were you? I am pretty old. Well, the church leader said, nah, we're good, but you're free to leave, you know, and not ever come back, please. If you'd like. Yeah, they said please because, you know, they're religious. They're nice people. Get the fuck out. Yeah. Please. Pleasantries. <laughs> Baked him a cake and everything. And on the top. <laughs> it just had a big icing middle finger on it. <laughs> yeah. And a little toy car that he could take and keep for later. <laughs> <laughs> just all that icing on the edge that you scrape off because it's like, this is way too much fucking icing. <laughs> I get the design factor, but yeah. I got to eat this thing. This is stupid. Yeah. Yep. You eat one like slice of it and you get the sugar high and start running around in the room taking your shirt off and 30 seconds later you're asleep <laughs> that's what I blame it on they drag you out of the Seventh Day Adventist church got another one fellas here we go go start your own church <laughs> stupid that's just what I blame it on you know uh, anytime anybody has like a birthday cake mm -hmm. and it's got that big old thick icing on the on the edge I'm like fuck yeah there's my excuse and I shove a bunch of drugs up my butt like 30 <laughs> seconds before I start eating the cake. That way, all of my behavior is blamed on sugar. the sugar. Yeah. <laughs> you're stripping off your clothes. You're all tense. Like, you like shadow bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Jump through some plate glass windows. <laughs> go, yeah, yeah. Go fight a police horse. And your, your wife's Pitch like, you're pressing uh. a motorcycle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your wife's like, oh, he does this every time we have birthday cake. I really should <laughs> cut it off. Hutef formed his own sect, the Shepherd's Rod, which was a sect of the Seventh-day Adventists, who were already a sect of the Adventists, who were a sect of the Millerites. Got it? Oh, that's confusing. All I know is I'd have sect with the Shepherd's Rod. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well... They weren't above innuendo themselves because their group name soon became known as The Rod. Yeah, it means penis people. Well, penis people, not penis people. Like, like they are <laughs> actually walking around in dick suits. No, that'd be, right. that'd be crazy. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. They grew in size. The penis people? <laughs> they turned into boner people. I, mean, I really wish that line wasn't the first ne line and the rest of the next part of the outline. <laughs> oh, I couldn't wait for you to get to it. Yes, <laughs> keep reading, Chris. Keep reading. Yeah, as he's looking at me at the camera. He like nods downward. Like, look, look at your outline. Look what you have to say next. I'm like, oh no, oh god, Let's kill you, stupid fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, they grew in size and moved to a large plot of land outside of Waco, Texas. 
Hutef named it Mount Carmel after a mountain in Israel. In 1942, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right? Ah, oh, fucking dyslexia. Oh, okay. In 1942, the group renamed itself to the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists after King David, whose throne Jesus was prophesied to return to. By the mid-1950s, the Davidians had grown to an estimated size of 100,000 members worldwide, with a few hundred living in Mount Carmel. Just sounds del- just the most delicious place to live. Like, I feel like that's how they got people, they talk people into it. It's like, oh yeah, come to Mount Carmel. It's like, Mount Carmel, that's amazing. And they go there and it's just these shitty fucking rickety ass buildings in the middle of a prairie. (laughs) It's next to the Candy Apple Plains. Yeah, real talk. When I was five and they told me I was going to kindergarten, I definitely heard Candy Garden and I was so fucking pumped. I was like, are you kidding Uh me? Yeah, I was like, a a garden made out of candy? Are you fucking kidding me? Yes. Yes, I am there. My parents, you know, wanted me to be excited about school, so they didn't tell me until I got there. Like, <laughs> no, it's kindergarten. Uh, all that we said was, was lies. Bye! <laughs> that made, you know, made the separation anxiety go away. Like, I didn't want to be around them for like six days. Like, oh, these fucking assholes. Oh, yeah, these dicks. Yeah, see what this place is really about. Well, in 1954, old Victor Hutef died from an acute case of death. Victor's wife Florence took over, but she was opposed by a member named Benjamin Roden, who claimed that God had come to him and told him he was the rightful leader of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. Florence Hutef didn't agree, and so Roden formed his own sect of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists that he called the Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. And I think we're on sect number four. Just sex within sex. It's a bunch. Mm-hmm. I've never... Scenes so much sex. It's very sectual. It didn't really make sense unless my grammar is fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> In order to retain membership, Florence Hutef revealed that her late husband had predicted the return of Jesus and thus the end of the world on April 22nd, 1959. Once again, allow us to fill you in by telling you that most historians do agree the world did not end on April 22nd, 1959. Some historians think that, but most don't. It's, a, it's an overwhelming majority. The consensus. The original Davidians fell apart. Most joined up with the Branch Davidians, and after some back and forth, Mount Carmel sold to Ben Roden. Things went great for a while, but then in 1978, Ben Roden decided to go ahead and die. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> Every, what Worst thing? decision ever. I know. What a leader, right? Fucking moron. <laughs> built this whole thing up and then alright bye yeah see you later <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking idiot uh, people back then were stupid I'd be a great cult leader <laughs> yeah I just see all the misstepings mm-hmm. of the characters involved in this story and others we've talked about and I'm like, you know what I could do that I could yeah. do it way fucking better <laughs> I think I could get everybody to kill themselves inside of three months in three months yeah dude oh what what was that, uh, that name that tune where you had to, like, yeah, I can name that song in seven seconds. Bill, I can name that song in six seconds. I feel like we're on that. Like, I, three months. I can get all these people to commit suicide within three months. And Greg? I'm like here. the idiot where the guy before me said, oh, yeah, I think within six years. And I'm like, three months. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're on the prices, right? You know? Yeah. The so one dollar <laughs> bid. <laughs> yeah. But instead of just going $1 over the last person, 
You go like five thousand dollars over the last person <laughs> for like a stroller. Yeah, Bob Barker's just looking like like an idiot. <laughs> like, okay, are you sure our our little screen doesn't go up that high? We'll just I'm have- just doing the the DX <laughs> suck it sign back in the day. Just the X like yeah, win. No, you do not. <laughs> Well, after Ben died, his wife Lois took over, and in 1981, she became enamored with a passionate member of her church, a 21-year-old man by the name of Vernon Howell. Vernon Howell was born in 1959 to a 15-year-old unwed mother. And yes, in this story, we do have to clarify that she was unwed. That's, that will be a sticking point mm-hmm. going forward. It will. It will. He struggled mightily in school, having to repeat several early grades. He most likely had a learning disability, but it was the 60s, so they just assumed he was mentally challenged and threw him in with those kids. The other kids at the school gave Vernon the affectionate nickname of Mr. Retardo. Domo origato, Mr. Retardo, domo. 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 (laughs) (laughs) What original... Uh, That's all I could think of. (laughs) It's, It's good. But what original nicknames they're coming up with? Like, there's like probably got to be 15 kids in the special needs class. Like, were they all Mr. Retardos? Or did they come up? Oh, that's Mr. Retardo. That's Retardina. There goes old Special Ed Retard Man. Yeah, nailed it. Got him. Got him. High fives. Just call him <laughs> Special Edward. Yeah. You know, oh, you're too clever for that time period. <laughs> it was a different time, man. Yeah. That's an unacceptable word now. Unacceptable. Yeah, special. Nobody's special. No, uh, I... Uh, retard. Oh. Well, I'm going to go ahead and take out a few things from the outline now. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> we'd cross that. Okay. Well, unsurprisingly, old Mr. Retardo dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. Like our old pal Jim Jones, Vernon didn't have a lot of friends, so he threw himself into studying the Bible to the point that he had it memorized and could quote it verbatim. He joined up with his mother's Seventh-day Adventist church, but he didn't like the idea that the first and only prophet had been the founder, Ellen White. When he found the Branch Davidians, he was thrilled to find they declared every single one of their leaders as prophets and messiahs. When he showed up in Waco, Lois Roden was the sixth messiah. <laughs> Woman messiah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, so she was actually pretty clever um, because she came up with this thing. She... Like, they were trying to find somebody to replace her because they're like, okay, we've had one woman leader. It didn't go well. We formed the Branch Davidians. There's no women leaders. And she comes up with this thing. She's like, oh, you know the Holy Trinity? How it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Well, the Holy Ghost is the mama. Holy Ghost got tits. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Got them ghost titties. And so... (laughs) She's not weighed down by gravity, so they're always perky. (laughs) Because ghosts are ethereal beings. Yeah. They don't conform to the laws of man. Matter of fact, they float up by her ears at all times. It's very distracting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's real nice to talk to you, Holy Spirit, but your your boobs are flopping around. Can I talk to the Father or the Son? I mean, it's not a sex thing. It's just distracting. Okay. <laughs> I feel like ghosts just have less gravity. Uh, not zero gravity. Actually, Probably not zero. And they'd have to be real, like lightweight. Floppy in the wind boobs. Like, we, what are we talking about in one of those episodes? <laughs> They're driving down the road and their boobs are flopping in the wind. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> that sounds vaguely familiar. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm drunk when we do these things. We're idiots. Good God. Why does it? I can't be held accountable for what I say. <laughs> why does any woman ever listen to this show ever? God damn. I don't, apparently, a lot of them do. <laughs> <laughs> Based on all the contest entries we had, there were, uh, it was probably like half women, which mm. surprised me. Yep. Because I thought it was all 11 year old men. I, I can't <laughs> call them men. <laughs> they haven't earned it yet. 11 year old boys. Lois's son, George, was supposed to be the next leader, but George had some mental health issues of his own, and people weren't too sure he was Messiah material. People like Vernon Howe. Wait, 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 wait. The mental health issues kept him from being a cult leader? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck kind of world am I living in? Yeah. Well, you know, there's convincing crazy, and there's just... Put you in face back! You know. I tried to get into porn, but they said my penis was too big. <laughs> You know, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sure it happens, man. Oh, I'm sure. Wouldn't. Never happened to me. All right. But yeah, they thought George was too crazy, and people liked Vernon Howe. Lois Roden really, really liked Vernon Howe. Know what we're saying, listener? They'd be fucking. Mm. Yep, Vernon and Lois began sleeping together, with Hal saying he had a vision that God wanted him to impregnate Lois with another future messiah. Of course, she was damn near 70 years old, and that was physically impossible. But Hal reminded people that in the Old Testament, a 90-year-old lady got preggers. So, uh, who was the pervert taking advantage of an old lady's need for companionship now? Hmm. <laughs> Turn the tables around on him. Well, unsurprisingly, Lois named Vernon as the future leader of the Branch Davidians. <laughs> He's like, what? what? Me? <laughs> no. Oh. Thank you. Huh. Thank you. Everybody get to work. He zips back up. <laughs> Takes, <laughs> looks down, they use condoms on his toe. He's like, oh, oh, that's not supposed to be there. I'm supposed to be getting this lady pregnant. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Although most of the members supported Hal, the group was still divided between George Roden and Vernon once old Lois kicked the bucket. George promptly kicked Hal and his followers out, forcing them to relocate from Mount Carmel to the holy land of Palestine. Sorry, that's Palestine, Texas, which was about 90 miles away. But George still wasn't happy about Vernon's claim to be the Messiah, so he set up a little test. George had the body of a recently deceased member of the church dug up and challenged Vernon to raise her from the dead. You know, Messiah should be able to do that. Just saying. And that's a common misconception about what Messiah meant. Like, people thought, like, oh, David Koresh is saying he's Jesus. Right. No. Messiah just meant, like, the leader of a group or people. Like, an, 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 the anointed one, I think. Yeah. Something like that is uh, what it literally translates to. But that is a, a big misconception of people is that, you know, like, oh, he's saying he's fucking Jesus. No, he's just saying he's a messiah and there's many before him. Yeah, and actually we should address that because the uh, these messiahs that led the Branch Davidians, uh, they actually viewed themselves as descendants of Daniel from the book of Daniel, who was supposed to come back to life and be the one who heralds in the return of Jesus to sit on the throne of David. They didn't think they, mm -hmm. were, they were Christ. They thought they were, again, a messiah and not even... Daniel himself, but like kind of like a reincarnated different version of Daniel. So yeah. Even old George was getting this shit wrong and it was his religion. Yeah. I just remember in the nineties there was a lot of vilification against yeah. the Branch Davidians based on that. 
Yeah. Like painting them in an extra crazy light, which, I mean, they're kind of crazy, but, you know. Yeah, they're a little crazy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not full throttle crazy like people made them out to be. Right. Well, instead of raising the poor deceased lady from the dead, Vernon went to the Waco Police Department and reported that whole, you know, theft of corpse thing that Georgia committed. The cops were like, yeah, hey, buddy, we're too busy to investigate that. So, uh, if you go get us some proof, that'd be great. That's how Waco cops sounded in the 90s. Okay. <laughs> Vernon had an insider take pictures, but that insider only got pictures of the casket, which didn't prove the existence of a corpse. And so, Vernon and a group of his followers decided to raid Mount Carmel in the middle of the night while heavily armed. Yep, just like every, you know, minor slight disagreement in every church, this little tiff between George Roden and Vernon Howe was settled with a late-night gunfight. During the shootout at Mount Carmel, Roden was slightly injured, and Howe and his followers were arrested. But they'd be acquitted because George Roden was a raving lunatic who did nothing but cuss up a blue streak on the witness stand. He was found con- in contempt several times. Howell and his followers returned to Palestine, but not for long. In 1989, a man walked up to George Roden and said, Hey, you know what? I think I might be a messiah, too. At which point, George grabbed an axe handle and beat the man to death. Which, why the axe handle? I don't know. <laughs> maybe the, maybe he lost the top of it. He was, uh, it's just a handle? Yeah. I'll need this one day. I'll just <laughs> set it over here. Yeah, it's like a Donner Party when they're cutting down trees and that for firewood and that the top of their hatchet just went flying into the fucking just snow. fell into the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Left hand of the handle. That's what happened to George. He's like, <laughs> fell into the snow in Waco, Texas, Greg. <laughs> Thank. You fucking brain idiot. <laughs> George was found guilty by reason of insanity and confined to a psychiatric hospital. And it turns out George hadn't been paying the taxes on Mount Carmel and owed $60,000. Vernon Howe and his followers threw the money together and bought Mount Carmel outright. They returned to Waco, where Vernon declared himself as the seventh messiah of the Branch Davidians. To celebrate, he decided to change his name. His first new name was David, after King David, and his new last name was the Hebrew translation of the Persian king slash messiah Cyrus, Koresh. David Koresh was a different kind of messiah for the Branch Davidians. He preached that sin was like a booger that you can't get off of your fingers. He wore jeans and a t-shirt. He had long hair like some kind of hippie. He played the electric guitar and even relaxed the Adventist ban on alcohol. But drugs were still off limits. In fact, when he moved the Davidians back into Mount Carmel, they discovered someone had set up a meth lab inside. Koresh promptly called the police to have them come and remove it. Yep, he was a pretty great guy. Sounds like a nice guy. I, I fully support him in all endeavors. All endeavors. <laughs> Up until now and henceforth. <laughs> yes. No matter what you're about to say, big supporter. <laughs> Nothing can change my He's mind. He's my guy. He's my guy. <laughs> oh, except he also declared every woman in the church as a possible opportunity for him to spread his holy seed while simultaneously forcing the men to take a vow of celibacy. Okay, I'm, I'm still with him. I'm still okay with it. All right, it's fine. I'm basically celibate anyway. Yeah, you're involuntarily celibate, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every girl who doesn't go out with me is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he married a 14-year-old girl and impregnated her with her parents' consent, which was legal in Texas at the time. I'm not super comfortable with that, but he's probably still my guy. Just, you know, okay, okay. Parent consent. He did the same to an 11-year-old girl, which was very illegal in Texas at the time. Oh, oh no. 
I I would like to withdraw my support for David Koresh. Motion denied. <laughs> oh no, it's too late. It's too late. I'm stuck. You're going down with the ship, my man. <laughs> he took multiple wives, and with him he had a total of 16 children. He justified this by noting that many Old Testament figures were polygamous, and, hey, ain't no age of consent in the Bible, bro. Yeah, didn't even use the fake voice. I'm taking that out of context later. <laughs> he expanded upon Mount Carmel, and it became a mess of winding corridors that were haphazardly thrown together. There was also a school bus that was buried at the end of a tunnel that was to serve as a storm shelter and a concrete bunker in the lower level. Koresh lived at the top of a three-story tower, which is also where the Davidians kept all of their guns. And boy, did they love guns. It's important to note that the Branch Davidians were often referred to in the media as a cult, but they don't really fit the description outside of their strong, extreme religious beliefs. People were free to come and go as they pleased, with most Davidians holding other jobs or going out in Waco on the weekends. The church asked for donations, but no one was required to give money or sign over their belongings. So, to raise money, the Davidians got into the exciting world of arms dealing. They sold guns at a small gun shop they owned, and at gun shows. They also built up their own personal arsenal. In the summer of 1992, a UPS driver was delivering a package to the Davidians when it spilled open. It's not a surprise. I've seen the way they fucking handle packages, motherfuckers. <laughs> Fragile. I guess that's Italian for stomp on it and then take a shit on top of the box. <laughs> like to shit on fire because I ate a bunch of flammable <laughs> shit. <laughs> out tumbled a bunch of empty hand grenade shells and some black powder. The UPS driver freaked out and called the sheriff. The sheriff began to look into it and soon learned that another postal worker had found a delivery of 60 magazines that would fit either AR-15s or M-16s. Which, what's up with these dudes just going through people's mail? <laughs> no like, shit. Or were they just wrapped in, like, shipping paper instead of boxes? <laughs> like, literally make it four feet out the door and contents just fucking all over the steps? It's in a clear Ziploc freezer bag, and on the label <laughs> part they just wrote the address. <laughs> M16's care of David Koresh. <laughs> yeah. Yada, 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 Waco, Texas. And the uh, the postal worker lifts up another one for the Branch Davidia. He's like, look at this one. It's just a bag full of dildos. He's like, oh, <laughs> these guys don't keep anything secret, do they? That's for all the celibate men. <laughs> they have to fuck themselves. Mm. That's, one, that's a passage in the Bible. And lo, Probably. Je Jesus sat before them and said, Go fucketh thyselves. And thus they did. Sounds familiar. Yep. I know the Bible. <laughs> the sheriff then passed the investigation onto the Bureau of Alcohol, Firearms, and Tobacco, or the ATF, who opened up their own case. I don't know if you guys remember the ATF from last week's story, but they fucked a pig. <laughs> yeah. And they don't do a better job this time. Spoiler alert. Oh, no. <laughs> Matter of fact, I might say they did a worse job this time. They 100% did a worse <laughs> job. There's more at stake. Yeah. ATF Special Agent David Aguilara. You like that? I do. Burrito. <laughs> yeah. David Fajitas. <laughs> David Aguilara noted that it was a fairly simple process to alter an AR-15 with parts from an M16 to convert it into a fully automatic weapon. Really just takes a little machining. <laughs> Ain't hard at all. Highly illegal, though. The ATF also spoke with a nearby farmer who said he had served in Vietnam and recognized the gunshot sounds he heard coming from Mount Carmel at night as automatic fire. 
The ATF knew they were onto something, so they decided to send in undercover agents. Stripper grams. <laughs> the ATF undercover agents, man, they never fuck shit up. Oh, no. They've never done anything wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> In late 1992, eight men moved into the small house that was across the road from the Branch Davidian compound at Mount Carmel. The Davidians, being good southern folk and probably curious, walked across the street to meet their new neighbors. The men said they had all moved to the area to go to nearby Texas State Technical College. This seemed weird because they were all in their 30s and 40s and didn't seem to know a damn thing about Texas State Technical. Their suspicions would only increase over the following months when the men refused to let the Davidian neighbors into their home, and they never seemed to leave to actually go to the college classes they said they were taking. Like, it'd be hilarious if it was just a bunch of 40-year-old dudes totally leaning into the frat boy lifestyle, you know? <laughs> like, they wear tank tops and like, neon shades all day. <laughs> Branch Davidians think they're awful neighbors because they stay up till, like, 4 a.m. throwing parties, doing in the front yard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Classic ATF. Classic. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just a bunch of dudes in like polo shirts and khakis with obvious gun bulges on their hip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are going to college. I am studying business. I am studying literature. What's your favorite book? Uh, ATF Training Guide, Volume 2. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it would have been better if they pretended to be guys delivering strippograms. Just a bunch of dudes out there shirtless in the front yard. like, yeah! Oiled up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, none of that happened. Instead, an agent named Robert Rodriguez attempted to infiltrate the Davidians by attending their meetings particularly their Happy Fun Times Bible Study slash Gun Range target practice parties. Koresh pegged Rodriguez as a spy pretty easily. Rodriguez said he never really knew much about guns, but he showed up with a super fancy modified pistol and an assault rifle with a hair trigger and shot them like he was, I don't know, some sort of well-trained federal agent or something. These guys are so bad at this. <laughs> Just so fucking terrible. See, that's where fucking... <laughs> Hubris gets in your way. You know, <laughs> yes. act like you're a shitty shot, but no, yeah. you're, you gotta be too macho. Like, oh, yeah. Show up with bang, like, bang, 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 bang. Oh, no big deal. Twirling it, twirling his fucking pistol around. <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Boom, holster. <laughs> He's in the Wild West. Yeah. He's like, hey, David, throw those six bottles in the air at the same time. Watch this shit. I don't know. Beginner's oh. luck, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Well, still, Koresh figured that Rodriguez was with the Immigration and Naturalization Service and was investigating the members of the church who had expired visas. Even if he had learned that Rodriguez was with the ATF, it wouldn't have mattered because Koresh had already offered to allow the ATF to inspect the weapons at the compound, but they had declined his offer. I think you have illegal guns, sir. You want to come look? No, fuck you. Like, what? We'll get what? a warrant. <laughs> yeah. You can just come in. Fuck you. <laughs> That's just there's two ATF agents standing on the porch and he's like, You guys want to come with my guns? Oh no. And the other ATF agent looks at the other one. You got a warrant, buddy? He's like, I don't need no fucking warrant. You go get a warrant or you get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Dave Crush is standing there, big fucking question mark over. <laughs> well, like I said, they did uh indeed get a search warrant for the compound and an arrest warrant for David Koresh. This was despite the fact that nothing they had observed or had proof of was illegal. It was all based on David Aguilera's assumption that they were converting semi-automatic rifles into fully automatic ones. 
It was signed on February 25, 1993, and was set to be executed several days later on March 1st, under the code name Showtime. Which, uh, I've always been more of an HBO kind of girl myself. Same here. I mean, Billions is pretty okay, but... Pretty okay to download and watch illegally, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> bang, bang! I don't. R-I-A-A, if, you, if you're listening. You wouldn't download a car. Fuck yeah, Fuck I would. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Fucking download a car? <laughs> God damn. <laughs> now, like we said before, Koresh and the Davidians left the compound all the time. It would have been super easy for the ATF to arrest Koresh when he was away from all of his guns and then go execute the search warrant. But Showtime had a double meaning. In 10 days, Congress was set to have a hearing to address the budgetary needs of the ATF. What better way to show off your need for funding than a daring, high-speed raid to take down a bunch of religious zealot cult members who abuse kids and stockpile guns and probably want to take down the U.S. government? I don't know. Making up the last part (laughs) because I'm the fucking ATF. Yeah, made up the rest. Make up this part, too. Mm -hmm. Also, Hitler's in there. He's hanging out with Stalin. (laughs) Turns out he escaped. Yep. And Julius Caesar, and he's plotting to take over too. Let's go get him, fellas. (laughs) On February 27th, while the ATF agents were at a private airport training, the Waco Tribune Herald published the first part in a series of articles titled The Sinful Messiah. I've read that book. It's it's hot. It's uh, got a dude, shirtless dude on the cover, but he's Mm -hmm. got the the priest's collar. He's like leaning over, (laughs) (laughs) leaning over at the lady. Oh, I love you, Harlequin Romance. You know, you know just <laughs> just where my erogenous zones are. My brain. Because my penis doesn't work. You know, it's fine. It, it makes sense. <laughs> the two writers had gotten inside information from a defecting member of the Davidians. The article reported that Koresh was a polygamist that physically and sexually abused children. The ATF attempted to prevent these articles from being printed before they could run their warrant, but the Tribune Herald went ahead with the publication. Because of this, the ATF moved Showtime up to the next day, February 28th. The ATF announced that they were going to hold a press conference on the 28th, but didn't say why. Still, everyone in and around Waco had figured out what was going on. In the early morning hours of the raid, a reporter was pulled over on the side of the road looking at his map. Ha! This would never happen today. (laughs) A man drove up in a station wagon that had U.S. Postal Carrier written on the side. He asked if the reporter needed help. The reporter asked if the man knew how to get to Mount Carmel because there was going to be a big raid that morning. The man gave him directions, but didn't tell the reporter that the reason he knew how to get to Mount Carmel was because he was a member of the Branch Davidian Church. He called ahead to David Koresh to let him know what was coming. I'm coming. <laughs> oh, but also there's a, there's a reporter, uh, ATF agents or something. I don't know. I forgot. Bye. <laughs> he just, he was there for the phone sex, didn't want to reciprocate afterwards. He's hung you, up immediately. Can you imagine you answer the phone and it's someone orgasming right away? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> How did you time this so appropriately? <laughs> slash inappropriately. I'm sort of impressed. Just going to admit it. Anyway, see you tomorrow at work, Bill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dad, is that you? Oh, God. Thanks. Up. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Remus? <laughs> I recognize your breathing from bed at night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> 
God, Jesus. <laughs> David Koresh. <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> Koresh approached David Rodriguez and let him know that he knew Rodriguez was an undercover agent and he knew a raid was coming. Rodriguez made an excuse to leave and informed his superiors, superiors, <laughs> that the Davidians knew what was about to happen. They decided to go ahead with the raid anyway. Ooh. Well, that sounds exciting, Greg, but I don't think I'm quite ready for it. Maybe we should take a break, get some more booze, then come back for the exciting conclusion of this story. Dude, I can hardly wait. Well, you're going to have to wait. But I do need more booze, so. <laughs> Ten seconds. Then we'll tell you that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. If this is like, this is all real time, and it's literally a ten second break. Yes. <laughs> oh. All right. I'll see you, see you fuckers in 10 seconds then. All right, we are back from break. Hope you guys had a good time during that 10 seconds. Got some stuff done. Uh, hope you enjoyed yourself. Reflected upon your life, you know, resolved all the problems in your marriage. That's what I tried to do during that 10 seconds, and it worked just as well as the last three years have gone. So, you know, whatever. Getting better <laughs> at time management. That's the goal. Oh, <laughs> your misery makes me laugh. <laughs> to be honest, all misery makes me laugh. Though. <laughs> I think it's a flaw in my personality, but. I don't know. Until I figure that out, I'm just going to laugh the night away. <laughs> What's that German Hitler word for it? Uh, Schadenfreude? German Hitler word. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, anyway, I guess I should give you guys a recap in case you forgot everything. Uh, someday there'll be like eight minutes of ads in between these. and You'll be like, oh, God, what was fucking happening? All I want to do now is buy a mattress. But uh, you know what? Still, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you a recap in case you missed something. We are your favorite ad-free podcast. Just admit it. That's true. Admit it to yourself. <laughs> Scream it at your radio right now. I don't care if <laughs> you're on public transportation. Just scream. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get people to stop sitting by you. Just start screaming at your iPod. iPod. <laughs> like anybody fucking has those. iPod. <laughs> oh. I downloaded the podcast on iTunes, transferred it over to their iPod yeah. at home on their computer. Oh, God. I'm... And then are listening to it on public transportation. <laughs> also, a better method to avoid people on public transit, start fucking shitting in your hand. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, put on your business suit mm -hmm. or dress, pantsuit. Whatever I'm trying to be all inclusive, guys. Uh, yeah, Just no. give me a break. But um, you know, do that in the morning. You know, you get your your coffee and your little to go thing mm -hmm. when you're leaving. You're heading out the door. You get on the subway. Just you know, put your briefcase down. You know, maybe loosen up the tie, mm -hmm. undo the pants, and shit in your fucking hand, and people will get away from you oh. on your way to work. Problem solved. I'm glad you expanded on that because shit in your hand wasn't clear enough. <laughs> I like painting pictures. <laughs> And you can have seats free next to you if you paint pictures on the windows with your shit. <laughs> oh, it's like if Picasso was a podcaster. It really is. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's like I'm talking to Oscar Wilde, you know? Just... Picasso. <laughs> oh, 
So, does anybody care about history? Nope. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Moving right along. Yeah. Going into this story, the Branch Davidians were formed after falling off from other sects, the seven-day Adventists. Uh, they were formed in the 1960s, went on to uh, have several different leaders until a man named Vernon Howell took over in 1990 and changed his name to David Koresh. Uh, he began preaching sort of like, uh, you don't want to say stereotypical youth pastor, the guy in the jeans and the, the T-shirt who's like, hey, guys, Jesus is cool. Thumbs up. But exactly that. But exactly that, except for the whole thing where he liked to marry and impregnate children. That was a little, you know. If you, so just like a youth pastor. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where's that truck backing up sound? Please. <laughs> so this group, the Branch Davidians and their leader, David Koresh, came under suspicion of manufacturing fully automatic weapons out of semi-automatic rifles when a UPS driver discovered a package of grenade shells and some black powder. The ATF went ahead and issued a warrant for David Koresh's arrest and a search warrant for the compound in which the Branch Davidians lived, even though they had no proof that these guys were actually doing anything illegal. And their raid was discovered the morning of by the Branch Davidians, and they decided to go ahead with that plan anyway. And that's where we are right now. That's Spanish. Let me further summarize the first half summary. Mm -hmm. Some shit happened. Here we are. Let's go. Ah, oh, yeah. Let's put that as our, that's our new podcast intro. Some shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. At 9.45 a.m. on Sunday, February 28th, 1993, the ATF arrived at Mount Carmel in full force. They pulled up in cattle trailers being pulled by trucks and about 50 agents disembarked. Overhead, three helicopters kept a watchful eye. They swooped down as the trucks arrived. According to the pilots, they came under fire immediately and fled the scene. But according to Mount Carmel survivors, agents in the helicopters opened fire on the water tanks, killing one Branch Davidian and wounding several inside the building. The physical evidence kind of supports the Davidian claims, but nothing can actually be proven. And it kind of doesn't actually make sense that they would do that if their plan was to go in there and arrest him and get the weapons. Like, they don't need to destroy the water, too. Like, they weren't planning on a long siege. But, uh... Who knows, man? I, it's hard to tell what happens here. It's a ringing endorsement for the rest of this podcast. It's hard to tell what happens here. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> As the agents moved towards the door, David Koresh stepped outside to talk to them, but several agents yelled at him at once, and he couldn't communicate. Well, that's when more shots rang out. The ATF claims that the Branch Davidians fired through the door at the advancing agents. The Branch Davidians claim the exact opposite. Some believe the first shots were actually fired by the ATF dog team, which had decided to put down the sweet, innocent, religious zealot Davidian puppies. And those shots triggered a chain reaction of gunfire between both sides. Poor little puppies with their baby's breath. Just fit in the palm of your hand. Get all sleepy and do that little thing where they lay on their sides and stretch out all their tiny legs. The ATF fucking shot those puppies. <laughs> I need some ominous music behind it, like a shitty conspiracy YouTube video. <laughs> they had little little bells on their collars because they were Christmas gifts. <laughs> oh, ding, 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 ding. Anytime they walked anywhere and got inquisitive and <laughs> fell over because they're getting used to their bodies 
That's what the ATF fucking shot, people. Yeah, and right there is where the YouTube video does a super extreme close-up on a uh, ATF agent, and his eyes just fill with flames like he's the fucking devil. <laughs> <laughs> and they put Illuminati triangles on his forehead. <laughs> this guy's a 66-degree mason. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. Yeah. Well, others theorize that the agents jumping out of the cattle carriers accidentally fired their weapons, causing both sides to believe they were being fired upon, and again, causing this massive firefight. Well, the ATF plan called for agents to enter the building through the front double doors, while another group simultaneously climbed up onto the roof and then went in through a window to secure David Koresh's room and the Davidian armory. Despite the fact that it was the year of our Lord, 1993, and these were federal agents, the rooftop team and the entry team had no way to communicate with each other. Eh, radios, that's fucking stupid. Why would we need that? That's uh, future technology in 1993. Yeah. Oh, wait. Not at all. Yeah. They need Hedy Lamar out there. Just like, hey, guys, look at this shit. Like, Bluetooth all their cell phones. Ah, oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if Koresh had surrendered peacefully at the door... The rooftop team still would have made forced entry upstairs because they didn't know what was fucking happening downstairs. When the shooting started, the front door team was halted, but the rooftop entry team pressed forward. The rooftop team made it to the east side of the compound and threw their ladders onto the side of the building. The agents climbed up onto the roof. Three agents made it to David Koresh's window when they came under fire. One of them was wounded, another was killed. Another group threw a flashbang through the window of the armory, and three of them climbed in. A fourth was right behind them when bullets flew through the wall next to him, and he was wounded. This agent slumping to the roof is one of the enduring images of the raid. You always see this clip of that guy next to the window getting shot, and he falls over on his side. Mm-hmm. But he was actually able to climb down the ladder to safety. Meanwhile, inside the armory, the three agents who had made it inside killed a member of the Branch Davidians, and then discovered empty weapons racks. They didn't realize it at the time, but they'd been right about the Davidians converting their semi-automatic rifles into fully automatics, but most of those guns had been taken to a gun show in Austin that weekend. But, uh, hey, moral victory, right? Yeah! Mm-hmm. Nothing like being proven right at the expense of, you know, lots of dead people, but at least you were right, I guess. Way to go, fucking assholes. Well, these three agents inside the armory quickly came under heavy fire and were forced to flee back out the window. As they did, another ATF agent stepped out to provide cover fire. He was shot and killed instantly. Another agent was shot and killed as he was firing a shotgun in the general direction of the compound. This is what pisses me off about the blind firing and the idiots like firing from helicopters. Mm-hmm. They knew there were innocents inside, yeah. especially children. Yeah. They just couldn't fucking help themselves. They wanted to get in on the action. Yeah. Because there was fucking 800 goddamn people there. Yeah, and you see, like, clips of it. Not literally, but Jesus Christ. Well, there, there are literally 50 people there, and you see clips of it, and, like, there's people, like, 200 yards away firing at the building with a pistol. Like, you're not going to hit anything effectively at that range, but they're just like, ah! You know, and they're firing. Yeah, they want to be part of it, man. Yeah, and the book goes into a little more description. They're firing at each other. They're firing over each other. Like, they're just, anybody that can shoot is shooting. It's just fucking chaos. It's chaos that originated with just a, just a terrible fucking plan to begin with. Like, I don't, like, if you're going in, go in as a team. I don't understand the, let's also have guys climb ladders up the side of the fucking building and go in the top while we're going in the bottom. Because, you know, that just opens the door all sorts of 
friendly fire problems, especially if they can't communicate with each other. This is just just complete fuckery. I agree. Well, the entry team finally made it inside, but had to pull back when they learned that the rooftop team had retreated. The shooting raged on at full throttle for 45 minutes. It probably would have gone on harder and longer. <laughs> but the ATF was running out of ammunition. Whoa. Yeah. Sorry. Just adding a little levity to the situation. Well, the Branch Davidians didn't have that problem. They can go as hard as long as they wanted to, because they had lots of ammo. <laughs> and a bunch of wives. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't... Well, had... one of them did. Yeah. The rest of them had none. Yeah. They were celibate, though, and boy, were they pent up. They were just, just screaming. Just full-on, like, full-mast <laughs> screaming while they're shooting out the window. Take this seriously, people. Just reeing like the insults they were. Just... <laughs> just in a fucking rage <laughs> raises a tendy up to their mouth and bumps bites down the chicken <laughs> throws it like a grenade like after he bites the tip off it throws it like a grenade realizes his mistake yeah runs out the door to get it gets shot <laughs> that's how the branch of video members died <laughs> well that's the end of this episode we'll see you next time guys <laughs> Well, the British Davidians continued to fire on the ATF. All in all, the sporadic gunfire lasted for about two hours. In that time, 16 ATF special agents were wounded, and four agents, Steve Willis, Robert Williams, Todd McKeon, and Conway Charles LeBlue, were killed. Inside the compound, things were no better for the Branch Davidians. It's not clear how many were wounded, but five members, Winston Blake, Peter Gint, Peter Hipsman, Perry Jones, and J.D. Wendell, were killed. Later, forensics would show that Winston Blake was likely killed by friendly fire, and Perry Jones was executed by members of the church after he was deemed to have life-threatening wounds. Also wounded during an exchange of gunfire with the entry team was Greg's boy, David Koresh. Not my boy. He's not a great man like your other hero, Hitler. He's not my hero. <laughs> well, you said he was great. I'm just... Piece of shit. Just saying. I said he was a, a great <laughs> figure. In the sense, I stop bringing this shit up every goddamn episode. He was a great figure. He was a great figure in history. He was an awful fucking human being. Mm, mm. The end. Sounds like some backtracking. Sounds like somebody got some angry emails. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Larry Lynch of the McLennan County Sheriff's Office. Never promote Larry, Lieutenant Larry. That's just got the triple L thing going on. He answered a 9-11 call to find Koresh on the other end of the line. Koresh wanted to know why the feds were coming after him, but Lynch had no idea what the hell Koresh was talking about because the ATF hadn't bothered to tell the local authorities about their fucking raid. Lynch quickly contacted the ATF and began to work on a ceasefire. Just before noon, an agreement was reached, and the ATF was able to retrieve their dead and wounded. At the same time, the Branch Davidians went outside to bury their dead. That evening, around 5 p.m., Branch Davidian member Michael Schrader was returning to the compound from work when he realized that the ATF had set up a perimeter around Mount Carmel. Schrader attempted to crawl out of a creek on a nearby farm when he was discovered by agents. Shots were exchanged, and Schrader was struck in the head by a bullet and killed, bringing the total dead on February 28th to 11. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, the best part about this is they're, they're in this barn, right? And they see him coming out, and they go confront him and their story is he shot first who knows because he dies he's the only fucking witness and they just leave him there 
his body stays there till March 3rd. They're like, oh, we got him. Yeah. Time to press on. Let's see what else we can do today. Like, okay, guys. Yeah. And this is in Texas. Yeah. Not exactly in a highly populated area. So, you know, I'm sure his body was mutilated as a motherfucker before they eventually got to it. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Yep. It sure seemed like the ATF had screwed the pooch. They also killed it, by the way. Shot it. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. When it was a puppy. Yeah. Before it could grow up and overthrow the government. See, they're smart. You kill baby Hitler, right? Right? That's what I thought. Oh, yeah, I know. Never mind. You wouldn't. Most people would kill baby Hitler. Just saying. You're an idiot. (laughs) Well, luckily, the government was sending in another, more experienced agency to clean up the mess. It was time to send in... Hold on. Let me check my notes. Ah, fuck. They're sending in the FBI. Oh, God damn it. Oh, no. The head of the San Antonio FBI office, Jeff Jamar, was named site commander. He called in the hostage rescue team, who had done just fantastic work at Ruby Ridge six months earlier. Jamar said, hey, you know what, let's just play it cool, see if we can talk these guys out. But the head of the HRT, Richard Rogers, screamed, Leroy Jenkins! And once again sent in every single member of the 50-man hostage rescue team to a single incident. And in case you listened last week and were wondering... Our trigger-happy sniper boy, Lon Horiuchi, was right there with them once again. This fucking guy. Yep. Negotiations began, and the FBI felt like they were making some good headway. They agreed to broadcast a message Koresh had recorded in exchange for Koresh's surrender. David decided to change his mind, but he went ahead and released 19 of the kids living inside the compound, leaving 98 total members inside. The negotiators then sent in a video camera for Koresh so he could send out video of his followers. In the video, Koresh introduced his kids and his child brides. Everyone in the video claimed that they were not hostages and could leave if they wanted. And then they blinked torture with their eyes in Morse code. SOS, bro. (laughs) (laughs) This was mostly true. Koresh told the members inside that they could leave if they wanted, but if they did, the feds would kill them and they'd be damned to hell. Of course, the FBI didn't know that, but when they watched the video, they decided not to release it to the media because it made the Branch Davidians look highly sympathetic. You know, almost like regular fucking people. Yeah, the interesting thing, though, at this at this point is they've inside, they've actually come up with like a suicide pact because they think Koresh is going to die because he's been shot in the abdomen and he's bleeding. And they think he's going to die. So they think as soon as he dies, we're going to walk out and we're all going to start shooting and they're just going to kill us all and we'll all go to heaven with David. And uh, he doesn't. He didn't die from the bullet wound, so never came to fruition. The negotiators continued to try to work towards a peaceful resolution with Koresh, saying he was working on some documents that detailed his beliefs on the Book of Revelations and the Seven Seals. He said that once he finished those, he'd be willing to come out. But the hostage rescue team was getting bored. And even though no one fucking asked them to bring the entire HRT squad... The FBI higher-ups were complaining they didn't have any reserves for the rest of the country and their deployment was costing a million dollars a day. So, two factions within the FBI were formed. The Negotiators and the HRT. You ever had your car towed for any reason? Like, impounded or anything? Okay, well, let me tell you what a scam that is. First, they come to your efficiency apartment complex and they notice that your, your parking pass is expired. And they walk right past you and don't say anything. And they hop in their tow truck they take it to the impound lot, and then maybe you're in a you know drug-induced coma, and you don't wake up for three or four days, and you go down, you're like, where the fuck's my car? 
You find out a day later it's been towed. By this point, it's been like five days. You go down there and they're like, oh yeah, uh, this is going to cost you $1,200 for storage fees and towing fees. And I'm like, motherfucker, I never asked you to tow my car in the first place. That's the hostage rescue team. No one asked you to show up. And here you are just ripping my ass off. And I got to pay $1,200 for a car that cost me $600 and I'm still making 68 payments on. It's horse shit. <laughs> 68 payments. <laughs> <laughs> okay. At least you got that good 28% interest rate. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. They gave me nachos while I was signing the paperwork. So. <laughs> I, yeah, it was a deal. I got to meet the manager. I mean, come on. That's pretty great. <laughs> basically paying me to take this thing off the lot. <laughs> While the negotiators were trying to do their job, the HRT did whatever the fuck they wanted. They started playing loud music and sound effects at night to try to deprive the Davidians of sleep. After the first night, Koresh asked the negotiators what was up, and they were like, fuck, I, we don't know. <laughs> Nobody told us this shit. Yeah. Uh, right hand, left hand, not really talking. One night, after playing Nancy Sinatra's Boots Were Made for Walking on a loop, David Koresh and his end times band set up their amplifiers at a window and played a jam session for hours. Just a big old fuck you. In response to Koresh's metaphorical middle finger, the FBI took their APCs, or armored personnel carriers, and smashed all the Branch Davidian cars and cut off their electricity and water. Like, this is so fucking childish. Just petty. Just petty as fuck. I mean, you have them under siege and you're going out of your way to damage their property and livelihood. Yeah. All they did was play music back at you. <laughs> yeah. They let you know, they're like, hey, that didn't bother us, even though it did. Yeah. But they were just doing their own version of it. It's such bullshit. It is. Let's, over let's overthrow the government. That's all I'm saying. Let's unite all of our listeners. We'll get all of our guns together, and we'll go take back this country. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> I'm just kidding, FBI. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> what was that? I think I heard <laughs> I think I heard somebody break into my window. Oh shit, it's the ATF. Oh fuck. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm still here. I'm just doing a bit. <laughs> they killed everybody but me. That's <laughs> yeah. stupid. Classic ATF. They never thought I'd be in this eight year old girl's closet. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the Davidians didn't plan on going anywhere, and they had plenty of food and water stored and they were barely using electricity before the siege, so this was another pointless gesture by the HRT. Still, Koresh allowed another 11 members to leave. They were all promptly arrested. As the days and weeks passed, David Koresh's contact with the negotiators became more wild-ass religious and became more and more unproductive, especially when the negotiators started telling him that he was full of shit. Yeah, have you heard that? I'm sure you have, where he's like, David, I believe I'm, I'm religious, but... You're just talking a bunch of fucking nonsense, right? I was like, this, yes. this seems like very poor tactics, but okay. Yeah, it's, just... it's awful. Yeah. Awful. Nothing like being a hostage negotiator and having an air of superiority over who you're talking to. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck do they even teach you? They're just tired, man. It's been 50 days. They're like, God damn it. You're a fucking moron. Can we just come in there and shoot you yet? Please. I guess, but hostage negotiation's all about relatability, right? Yep. I mean, you and I are friends, and you do nothing but tell me how stupid I am. So maybe they just thought he was a you know a masochist like me. I'll let you kiss me on the mouth once a month. What do you mean? <laughs> I don't do nothing. <laughs> maybe that's what they should have done. Just walked up the door and French Chris David Koresh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
The HRT guys were sitting around thinking, man, remember when we wanted to shoot tear gas into Randy Weaver's house and no one would let us? And they just let the pansies talk their way into a peaceful solution? Huh, that was lame. Let's gas these motherfuckers. <laughs> they sent the suggestion up the chain to the FBI director, who proposed it to brand new Attorney General Janet Reno. As played by Will Ferrell. <laughs> he did uh, play her on Saturday Night Live. While he's busting he? through walls and shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that shit's funny. Reno wasn't super sold on the idea because she thought that the gas would be harmful to the children. Foreshadowing. The FBI said, nah, they'll be fine. Janet said she still wasn't sure, but someone, and no one would admit who, told her that Koresh and the Davidians were physically abusing the infants in the compound and they were worried about the safety of the kids if the FBI didn't act. Janet Reno went to President Bill Clinton, who basically said, do whatever you want. Texas didn't vote for me. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and so the plan was given the green light. On the 51st day of the standoff, April 19th, the FBI negotiators warned Koresh that they were about to deploy gas if he didn't surrender. Koresh refused. In the early hours of the morning, modified tanks began to deploy tear gas into various spots around the compound's housing structure. FBI agents also used handheld grenade launchers to deploy canisters of tear gas through windows. Inside the compound, the children were moved into the concrete bunker while the men and women put on gas masks. They began to shoot at the tanks. So, the women and children went to the bunkers to escape the gas. Right. The women were actually, like, wetting towels to put over the children's faces because, wouldn't you know it, they don't make gas masks in fucking play sizes. Right, not anymore. Um, they did in the, the 30s or 40s, because I've seen pictures, like, they look like Mickey Mouse. Well, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. When they, yeah, in Britain when they were putting them on the kids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the problem with CS nerve gas commonly known as tear gas, is that it's uh, it's heavier than air. Yep. It has a higher specific gravity than air. Uh, so it naturally settled in the lowest parts of the structure, which made it, you know, rise to extremely toxic levels. Right. And what's the lowest point of the structure? The fucking bunker. The where tower. Where the goddamn kids are. Uh, not the tower. Damn it! Oh, the bunker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the tower. Oh. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> Man, it, it was a 50-50. It was a coin flip. <laughs> yeah. Well, after two hours, the Branch Davidian compound suddenly burst into flames in three different locations simultaneously. Outside, the FBI and the world watched as the building burned to the ground. Firefighters attempted to intervene but were held back for around 15 minutes by the FBI due to concerns that the Branch Davidians might attempt to harm them. Standard procedure. Well, honestly... it. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. Like, right. the whole fucking building was gone in less than half an hour. Yeah. Like, there, there wasn't anything they were going to do by the time they got there. Yeah, the building was all plywood, and they had sawdust and shit all through the building, like, flooring yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was just tinderbox anyways. For sure. The FBI negotiators used loudspeakers to urge Koresh and his followers to come out, but out of the 85 inside, only nine would escape the flames. Among the 76 dead were 25 children. At least 20 of the dead had either shot themselves or been shot by a fellow Branch Davidian, including David Koresh, who had died from a bullet wound to his forehead. And this happened to a lot of the kids, too. Like, There's one kid that was stabbed through the chest and the heart. Like, imagine having to do that to your kid to to basically make them avoid suffering. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, 
It's crazy. Awful decision. And, you know, they might have been suffering already because, you know, you mentioned CS nerve gas. Uh, uh, another thing about CS nerve gas, when it burns, it converts into cyanide gas. So basically they're all inhaling yes. cyanide too, while that CS gas mm-hmm. it was engulfed in the flames. So yeah, it was, you know, that I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that wasn't a very fun place to be on April 19th, 1993. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about cyanide gas is in highly concentrated amounts is it causes your muscles to super constrict and can actually like break bones and yeah. stuff from... It just constricting so hard. Yeah. And they found that in a lot of the autopsy reports. Like one girl, basically, she was bent over backwards to where her head uh, was damn near at her feet. Uh, like spine just broken from all the, the heat and the combination of the cyanide poisoning that just caused. Uh, it's awful, dude. Fucking yeah. awful. I'm done podcasting. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> just ruined my uh, fucking yeah. day. It does suck. The FBI would be accused of starting the fires, but recordings from inside the compound clearly show that the Branch Davidians were spreading fuel inside and starting the fire. However, according to some experts, infrared footage, or FLIR, which is forward-looking infrared, from a helicopter showed that the FBI agents may have been shooting into the compound while the fire raged. Other FLIR experts have claimed that wasn't the case at all. Either way, and unsurprisingly, the FBI has stated they did not fire their weapons on April 19th. Twelve Branch Davidians were put on trial, eight of which were convicted. Eventually, their sentences were overturned, and the last one left prison in 2007. The FBI and ATF both faced civil lawsuits and congressional hearings, and Janet Reno would spend years attempting to defend her decision. In the end, 81 Branch Davidians and four federal agents died in Waco, and perhaps both sides are to blame, but one man who visited the site during the standoff placed the blame completely on the government and he was going to seek out his revenge. His name was Timothy McVeigh, and we'll talk about him next week. End of story. Woo! We did it. We did it. (laughs) Did it again! (laughs) Boys and girls fucking did it again. I can't believe it. You didn't think we would. Yeah. I know you, listener. You didn't (laughs) fucking think we'd do it again, and we did it again (laughs) in your face. Every week they start the episode. They're like, "No way, no way, they're gonna get through this story. Not this time." Uh-oh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. This one's too lofty. Hate it. <laughs> Fuck you, you stupid listener. Hate- I hate my listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> oh yeah, please uh, check out the Patreon. <laughs> All right, Greg. It is time for Central Texas's favorite segment: surprises slash misconceptions you might have had about this story. So going back to what we were talking about when we started this episode, you know, I was watching this as a kid, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And on live TV, and it seemed longer than it was. Yeah. You know, this whole thing burned down in like a half hour, basically. Like, I mean, from when the flames started showing mm-hmm. to when it was a pile of fucking rubble was like a half hour. Um, so that that kind of surprised me looking back on it versus my memory and it makes sense. I mean, it was a windy day. Yeah. Like you said, the structure was poorly built, a lot of plywood, sawdust everywhere, open windows that were either shot out or just opened. They create a wind tunnel that compounds the spread of the fire, just that wind pushing it through there. You had the CS gas that coated every surface, and it has flammable compounds inside of it. Just, I mean, it makes sense, but it just surprised me that, like, damn, right. it was about a half hour, and that whole motherfucker was gone. I was thinking it was, you know, a couple hours. Yeah, no. Nope. Feel the same, yeah. So, that was my uh, 
biggest surprise. Oh, cool. Going back on this. Going down on this story, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, it's much shorter than I remember. Oh, <laughs> uh, mine kind of traces back to my childhood, too, because, you know, I had a child's understanding of this whole situation. We called Vernon Howell, Vernon Hell. You know, we believed he thought he was Jesus Christ. You know, you get all the fucking bullshit lies just filtered down to the playground or whatever. Uh-huh. And so, looking back on it, it's like, man, this isn't like Ruby Ridge... Where they're a bunch of racist assholes, and uh, you know they're just out there hoping to overthrow the government, and then the government oversteps. These were, you know, for the most part, they're genuinely nice people. They were stockpiling weapons, but for the most part, it was just to sell them to make money for their church. Uh, they weren't racist. It was a multi multiracial congregation. There were, you know, blacks, whites, Asians living inside Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, multinational too. Yeah, they just had some very strange outside-the-box religious beliefs, and everybody just assumed they were fucking crazy and they were going to do something crazy, so let's go get them. And so, you know, I didn't realize that until I started researching. I was like, man, these guys, if the ATF never intervenes, I don't think we ever hear about these guys. I don't think anything ever fucking happens here. Sure. Yeah. So I kind of have two things on that. Yeah, they were peaceful than a motherfucker. But, and not even the thing that they were getting uh, in trouble for, David Koresh and the whole child bride thing is very fucked up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of them being 11. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. No. But again, that's a single member. That's not the entire yeah. congregation, if you will. Yeah. Another, I didn't realize that uh, Vernon Howell was David Koresh's real name. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, and I'm very surprised that you did on, on the playground, like, already had nicknames for him. So that's kind of interesting. It just shows the, or, you know, what, three-year age difference or whatever. Because I was much younger. I'm actually 30 years older than you, and I remember calling him Mr. Retardo first. And then I went back. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's not very, you know, sensitive of me. So let's just change it to burning hell. <laughs> Got him. And, you know, there were there were all sorts of stupid playground jokes that I probably shouldn't repeat on the podcast because very insensitive and very stupid. And Don't stand the test of time either, do they? No, absolutely not. And you're like, why the fuck? What was wrong with... The people around me that made me think this was okay, but you know you're <laughs> you're twelve. You don't need better. You're just like <laughs> burning hell. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, good times. All right. Well, at the end of the day, guys, these people, yeah, they're a little nutty or whatever. And making illegal guns is definitely something that needs to be pursued by law enforcement. But I think Chris and I both agree that. What the ATF and FBI did here was a complete overstepping of of their boundaries. Like this was extremely fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. And I, but I do agree with you. They should have been looking at him for the child sex abuse. That should be the number one goal there. And yeah, it wasn't. It was ATF needs funding, so let's go show off how badass we are. That's why we should overthrow the government. I keep telling you, people. I'm starting to see your your side of yeah. things. I'll be sending out a newsletter next week after I read the Turner Diaries. Just kidding. That book is trash. If uh, if we get $2 billion from our Patreon, I will start to overthrow the government. That is my <laughs> pledge. That is my Patreon <laughs> pledge. <laughs> anyway, guys, check us out. 100proofhistory.com. Yeah, check out older episodes on there. If you do uh, decide to join the Patreon, you'll get access to the weekly recordings of our Hangover episodes, which are a little smaller, more succinct topics. Generally more dick and balls. Ha 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 ha! 
drunken stuff because, you know, whatever. Yeah. We record them after these. There are also a lot of weird notes from history, you know, just something crazy, crazy fucking story. Like, what we're about to record, it's just fucking crazy, and I hope you guys subscribe so you can hear it. (laughs) They're little tidbits that we can't do a full episode on. Yeah. But (laughs) they're they're pretty wild-ass. Anyway, we appreciate you listening, as always. What else? That's it. Get the fuck out. See you later. Overthrow the government. Bye-bye. It's average. (laughs) My mom told me so. (laughs) When I was slapping her clit. (laughs) She said, I'm smart and I have an average dick. (laughs) Now slap my clit. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Uh, (laughs) Nipple itches. (laughs) He's so excited. His boobs are growing. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Jesus could have figured out how to not knock somebody up. How, how dare Amanda you? Amanda Sprinkles could be a fucking boy. I want Amanda Sprinkle. You know what I'm saying? That was <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. You, you did it again. High five. Son Watch. of a bitch. <laughs> That's the ATF and the FBI after uh, Mount Carmel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck, did it again! Yeah, got him! You little son of a bitch! <laughs>